0: late, got it working, and by halfway through the day his circular saw quit on him and had to saw boards by hand after that. it's time to go home, he got out to his truck and his pickup truck wouldn't start. No way he could get it started, and so the owner of the house had to drive him home. Well, on the way home, this carpenter just kind of sat there in stony silence. It had been a rough day. And when they arrived at his house, the carpenter said, well, why don't you just come on inside, meet my family, we've got some holiday goodies and stuff you can have. And so the man went inside with him, and as they were approaching the front door, he noticed the carpenter stopped off at this tree in the front yard, and he he just kind of touched the branches like this, and and he thought, that's kind of strange. He walked on up to the house, but as he did, and he opened the door to his own house, there was this sudden transformation that took place. The guy got big smiles. And he, he got all the positive and happy about things. He went in and he greeted his family and introduced the owner of the house that had hired him. And, and they had a great time together. And, and uh, so there was time for the man to leave. Carpenter walked him out to his house, his car. And as they went out there, he said, you know, the, the curiosities got me. He says, what is with the tree? You know, why would you go over there and touch the tree on the way in? And what was going on that you just suddenly improved? And he says, well, he says, that's, that's my trouble tree. And he said, there's a lot of problems that happen with work and so on, but the last place I want to take those is, is into my house. My family doesn't deserve that. They deserve the very best of me. So before I go inside, I leave my troubles on that tree. The man says, that's interesting. He says, you know, the funny thing is, he says, in the morning I go out and I try to take my troubles up again and go back to work. He says, but there's never as many in the morning as there were when I went home at night. Now do you have a tree like that in your life? Maybe not in your front yard. Maybe not an actual tree. But do you have a way to bring peace to your life? A way that always brings peace to your life? I have something to share with you this morning from God's word that, that is far better than a troubled tree. That is something that will work every time in your life. And God wants to bring peace to our homes and to our neighborhoods this morning. He wants to bring peace to our families and to our communities this holiday season. On the night of Jesus' birth, the angels announced to the shepherds, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Peace on earth. This whole Christmas season, we're talking about peace on earth. What does it look like? How can we get it into our homes and to our neighborhoods? Well, that's the topic this morning. We need that peace because troubles today are everywhere, are they not? Troubles are unavoidable. No one is exempt from them. It doesn't matter if we're rich or poor or whether we're white or black or whether we're male or female. We have troubles. We've got lots of troubles. The only difference between us may be the number of troubles we brought on ourselves and the numbers that that just kind of fell on us, you know, they just befall us. And sometimes circumstances in life, sometimes just the, the world around us caves in on things. Sometimes our trouble are the result of our own mistakes. And there are many troubles, troubles in our homes, troubles in our neighborhoods, troubles at home may include marital discord or maybe actually breaking up and divorcing, includes domestic violence, includes stress and distress from our jobs and now, the financial burdens that we carry around. There are health issues. Sometimes somebody gets sick for a few days and then the next person in the family gets sick. It seems like it passes through the whole family before it leaves your home. Sometimes it's a health issue that continues right on through. It's permanent and lifelong. There are parenting issues. There are discipline issues. Many troubles also split into over or over into our neighborhoods. There are absentee parents and and a lot of kids that are lacking adequate supervision. We see what's happening out running the streets and some of the trouble that is there. And there's drug abuse. There's drug uh, use. There's gangs. There's poverty. There are neighborhood fights and disagreements. There is crime. Innocent people, innocent people are sometimes hurt, killed. We've had a horrendous example of that this week, haven't we? It's on our minds. What happened Friday in Connecticut? Those innocent children. The tragedy that occurred there was horrible. It will be horrible for a long time for the people of that community. We can't imagine what the children and the parents are going through. And we put ourselves for just a moment in their shoes. Imagine the child dropped off for school that morning by mom or dad and said, Don't forget your backpack, don't forget turning your paper, whatever. And that's the last words they were able to say to that child. This tragedy is a glaring example of why this message today is so important. A glaring example of the trouble that is in this world. This world can be an awful place, can be a terrifying place. It can be a place filled with unavoidable trouble. Rebecca Hagelin is a family policy specialist who writes about family issues. She has a website called howtosaveyourfamily.com. Hagelin says that the brokenness that is in our homes is at the core of our problems as a nation. I think she's right. In a post earlier this year, she said, the number one cause of poverty in America is fractured families. Children who grow up in fractured homes have nearly six times the poverty rate of children who grow up in homes with both mom and dad there. And the other predictable results of growing up outside of a stable family, educational deficits, greater risk of emotional, psychological, or behavioral problems, and broken hearts, just to name a few, she says. And she says this, these are the painful results of a nation whose timeless cultural values have been nearly obliterated these past 50 years. Then she goes on, she quotes some statistics. It kind of grabbed me. She said, there's this noted science researcher, Patrick Fagan, who pointed out that in 1950, for every 100 babies born in America, 12 were born in a broken family. That is, they were either born out of wedlock or they were born to a family that was already divorced or was about ready to suffer divorce and would. But today, it's 12 out of 100, but today, for every 100 babies born in America, over 60 are born to brokenness in the family somehow. And Hagelin concluded, this path is unsustainable. If it not quickly corrected, America will become a truly unstable nation with an even bigger government bureaucracy and larger debts and repeated ill-fated attempts to solve the many problems that only a return to commitment, fidelity, and timeless cultural values can fix. So the problem is not government. The problem is not having more of that. The problem is the family. Families are hurting. Families are in trouble. And as the family goes, so goes the nation. Broken families lead to broken neighborhoods. Broken neighborhoods lead to broken communities. Broken communities lead to a broken nation. As the family goes, so goes the country. Now what's the problem? What's beneath all of this? It's us. It's people. The problem is people. I don't know you ever want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. We don't want to deal with that this morning. But the reason we have trouble in our homes and neighborhoods is because we live there. We're there. People are there. There are problem people that make families and communities what they are. You know what I'm talking about. You know, some people to us are inspiring. Some people are irritating. Some people are fascinating. Some people are frustrating. Some people are delightful. Some people are dreadful. (laughs) And some people we're glad to see coming. Every time they walk in the door, oh, good, I'm glad they're here. And other people, as soon as we see them, we avoid them like the plague, you know. I don't want to be around them. I don't want to deal with them today. People are the very the very thing that makes finding peace in our homes and our neighborhoods so difficult. When you add people to the equation, things get messy. Because people have all kinds of ideas, all kinds of influences. And that's that's because we are all broken. We're broken people. We don't do things right every time. We may have good intentions, but we make a lot of mistakes. And so God has some some really great ideas in his book, in the Bible, for bringing greater peace to our homes and neighborhoods. But it takes people helping people to change that, because that's where the problem is. It's in us. And God calls us to be peacemakers. Peacemakers can make a great difference in both our homes and our neighborhoods, peacemakers can be used by God to turn our homes away from, from the destruction they're heading towards and even to redeem them for the purpose that God has given those homes. First place that Jesus mentions peacemakers is, is in his Sermon on the Mount. We call it the Beatitudes where he gives kind of the the values and the attitudes of people who are part of his kingdom, people who are following him. This is what they're like. Blessed are the poor in spirit, he says. And here he says, blessed are the are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Matthew 5, 9. Would you just say that with me, please? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Those who follow God are called to be peacemakers everywhere that we go. Peace is in short supply, but conflict is not. There's plenty of that to go around. There's conflict everywhere between nations, conflict between politicians, conflict in our communities, conflict in our homes. But God wants to bring peace on earth, and he wants to bring it into our homes and neighborhoods. So how is that going to happen? Well, if you have a Bible today, I'd like you to turn over to James chapter 3. James chapter 3 is the best passage I could find about being peacemakers and how how that is lived out what what are the what are the ways that we know what it, what it means to be a peacemaker and what peace brings to any situation James 3 starting at verse 13 James draws a great contrast here between two kinds of wisdom let's look at it together James 3:13 who is wise and understanding among you. Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Here's a contrast between two kinds of wisdom, two sources of wisdom, worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. One creates conflict. One creates confusion and disorder. The other one creates order and peace. Choose your wisdom. And do you have peace in your home or do you have confusion? Do you have order in your home or do you have disorder? Do you have chaos at work? Is your life basically a mess? (laughs) Then listen to what James is saying here. Worldly wisdom has some descriptors here. Worldly wisdom is looking out for number one, which is me. You know, I'm going to get what I want out of this. I'm going to contribute what I want. I'm going to say what I want. I'm going to do what I want. But godly wisdom looks out for the good of others. Worldly wisdom is characterized by pride. Godly wisdom is characterized by humility. Worldly wisdom is expressed in envy and selfish ambitions and in arrogance and deceitfulness and in Disorder and in all kinds of evil, all of the practices of evil come out of this thing of, I want what I want. That's worldly wisdom. But godly wisdom, James says, is expressed in purity and a desire for peace and in compassion and in submission and in mercy and integrity and in good deeds. Now we can reduce all of this to two things, pride and humility. Let's make it really, really simple. Pride is the root of all sin. The reason we sin is because we want what we want. We want to do what we want to do. And we choose something different than what God has said. And we, by pride and by arrogance, choose that and suffer the consequences of that. Humility, on the other hand, is the root of peace and of righteousness. Pride is sinful. Pride is self-centered. Hubris Another word up here is, is just the idea of being puffed up and being arrogant with your own importance. I am the most important person here now. So everybody listen to me. But humility seeks whatever God wants. James says that worldly wisdom is earthly, that it's unspiritual, that is as of the devil. It's demonic. He says that worldly wisdom lives at the level of animals. That's really the word he uses here. Live like an animal... Whose only concern, its only interest, is for its own survival and well-being. And think about anybody else. I just want to survive. I just want to be fed. I just want to, you know, have my needs met. And then James describes humility in much better terms: purity and peace-loving, and considerate and submissive, and full of mercy and good fruit, and impartial and sincere. All these different ways that he describes. If you live by this, these are the things that come out of your life. Godly wisdom is pure. It is uncorrupted and authentic and truthful. A person who is pure will not compromise their integrity. Godly wisdom is peace-loving. The Bible says a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 15.1 You know, some people in their homes are angry all the time. Some people in their neighborhoods are known as the angry neighbor. They're known as a person that you avoid because they're always agitated about something and they take out their rage by yelling or screaming or swearing or you know putting their fist through a door or a wall or something you know they they're constantly angry and their family knows that and so they all just kind of avoid them and cater to them and make sure that they don't let that erupt again the people closest to them are the people that are damaged the most by their behavior but in Ephesians 4.31, Paul says, as a Christian, get rid of that. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate, rather, to one another. Forgive each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That's, that's the, the contrast right there. Anger needs to be replaced by peace. Peace. Godly wisdom is submissive. It is willing to listen to others. It is willing to take in their ideas, their suggestions. It's not defensive. Godly wisdom seeks solutions to conflict, not more conflict. Godly wisdom, James says, is merciful. It doesn't hold another person's mistakes over their head. It's willing to forgive and to forget and move on. Godly wisdom is impartial. It's sincere. And James says that if you are wise... You're not going to be a fake about it. You're going to be real. You're going to be genuine. You'll not be a phony, but the real deal. If you say you're a Christian, then you live like a Christian. You behave as a Christian behaves. What's obvious, it takes a lot of humility to be a good husband or wife. It takes a lot of humility to be a good friend or neighbor. It takes a lot of humility to be a good parent, and it takes a lot of humility to be a good child. It is not easy To be a peacemaker. But what a difference a peacemaker makes in a family or community. I read about this kindergarten teacher that was at the end of the day and kids are getting ready to go home and there's this little boy over there struggling to get his cowboy boots on. So she bent down to help him with the cowboy boots and, you know, he's got one most of the way on. But he's struggling. And so she says, can I help you? He says, sure. So she got down there and she really pushed hard to get the rest of that boot on and get the other one on. And, and uh, man, she broke a sweat, you know, just trying to get them on. They didn't seem like it was right. The little boy stood up and he says, teacher, they're on the wrong feet. And she says, oh, man. So she got down and she pulled them off. It took a lot of effort just to get them off. And she said, man, we got these on the right feet now. Let's turn around. Let's put them back on. And once again, the struggle was there. It was a little bit easier, but really not that much easier. Got them up. The little boy stood up and he says, these are not my boots. <laughs> she oh no, She got back down. She took him off his feet again. And uh, after she got him off, he said, no, they're my brothers. My mom told me to wear them today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. So she put him on again. It is still a lot of struggle. Now she's just completely exhausted by the whole thing, trying to keep from screaming out loud, you know. The kid stood up. She puts on his coat. And she says, now, where are your mittens? says, oh, I stuffed them in the toe of my boots. <laughs> yeah, that's, the way, that's the way day goes sometimes, isn't it? And you teachers certainly know that. And life is like that. Life is bitter. Life is full of trouble and conflict. But James 3.18 says, peacemakers sow in peace. They are like that farmer out there sowing seeds of Peace. They're putting them out, scattering them, planting them into people's lives, planting them into their relationships, into their homes, into their neighborhoods, their jobs. And and they're planting seeds of righteousness, and they're going to harvest uh, this harvest of righteousness because they're planting the right thing. You know, every day you're planting something. Uh, You may not even think about it, but you're planting something. You may be planting seeds of anger or seeds of compassion. You may be planting seeds of of, uh, confidence or seeds of insecurity. You may be planting seeds of discord or seeds of peace, but you're planting some kind of seeds every day. And James says, this is the the whole principle of sowing and reaping. Whatever you sow, that is what you're going to reap. And if you intentionally, if you consistently sow peace, you will reap a life blessed by God. You will reap a life that God can, can use and God can bring some peace and some healing to other people through you. Maybe you need things to be even simpler than that. So I want to Leave you with a verse today. Not in James, but in another verse. It's in Micah 6.8. Maybe you need one verse to hold on to. Maybe you need one verse that kind of capsulizes the whole lesson for today. And you can just grab that. You can make it a memory verse. You can you know, type it up and put it right there. You know, over your steering wheel. Or maybe in your bathroom mirror. Or maybe at the kitchen sink. Or maybe up over your, your cubicle at work. Maybe put it on the top of your toolbox. And say, this is what I'm supposed to do. These these are the things I do. It's really simple. It's really clear. Micah 6.8. Do you know that verse? Micah 6.8 says it just in a nutshell. It says this. He has showed you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Here it is. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Can it be any simpler than that? That's it right there. If you want to be a peacemaker, if you want to bring peace to your home, peace to your neighborhood, peace to your workplace, peace uh, to your your ball team, peace to your club, peace to your, your friends as you gather around, get together as you do sometimes. If you want to be a peacemaker in that situation, there it is right there. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. It's that simple really. And if every day As you leave and as you start out the day, you're thinking, that's what my life is about. God will use that and it will change the dynamics of your home, change the dynamics of your neighborhood, of your workplace and all the rest. Now I'm going to ask you this morning in closing is this, what are you already known for? What are you known for today? You have a reputation. Your reputation is already out there. Maybe something you're proud of, something that you're embarrassed by, I don't know. But what is your reputation? What are you known for? What do you bring already to your family or to your neighborhood? What does your family or neighborhood appreciate you for, if anything? (laughs) Are you a peacemaker? Most of us know what the Nobel Prize is. But have you heard the story of the Swedish chemist it is named for, Alfred Nobel? Alfred Nobel was not always known for peace. He is the person who started giving this award to the people who make a special contribution toward world peace, but that is not his first claim to fame. He was first known as the man who in 1866 invented dynamite. Did you know that? This earned him fame, earned him great wealth. He became one of the richest men in the world. He was uh, a person who had more than uh, Twenty countries where he had labs. He he, he had made three hundred some patents. You know, he just an inventing and very very creative person. And he had more than ninety factories around the world manufacturing explosive and, and ammunition. Most of the wars going on depending on what his his products were. And yet today he is most often remembered as the name behind the Nobel Peace Prize. What happened? Well, in eighteen eighty eight. His brother, Ludwig, died while staying in France. And the French newspapers got it mistaken. They thought it was the inventor of dynamite that had died, not his brother. And so these reports came out of his death. And what shocked Alfred Nobel wasn't simply a mistaken report of his death, but the opinions that were coming out through the newspapers in that day. One French paper's headline read, The Merchant of Death is Dead. And for the first time, he was confronted with the reality that his reputation was death. He's the merchant of death. And he went out to change that. Alfred Nobel chose to change his reputation from the merchant of death to the promoter of peace. And so he started his prize and has been awarded every year to people known for contributing to world peace ever since. What would be the headline that summed up your reputation were you to die today? What are you known for? What would you like to be known for? I hope that your desire is to be known as a peacemaker. Maybe you're not there yet. Maybe your family troubles are so overwhelming. You just have found out maybe something you can do about that. You need to come to Jesus because he is our peace. He makes peace between God and man, not establish uh, Found that out? He's the peace. He's the one, as Tim said in our communion meditation, he's the one that went to the cross for us. He's the one who took our sins upon himself and his stripes brought us healing. He's the one who gave his life so that we could have new life and we could be forgiven and go free. And he brings us back to God. He is the bridge that brought us back to God by the sacrifice of his own body. He is our peace. But He wants to be more than that even. He wants to be the peace of your life today. He wants to be the peace in your home, the peace in your neighborhood. He wants to bring, be, bring peace to your relationships where there's so much brokenness, there's so much trouble, so many conflicts. Jesus makes peace between people. He has the power to fix broken relationships and broken hearts and broken homes. He has the power to mend broken neighborhoods and broken communities and broken nations. So, my prayer is that you'll come to Jesus and that you'll find greater peace than you've ever known. And that you just make it your desire to be a peacemaker in your home, in your neighborhood, and wherever you go. I want to pray for you today and pray for myself because uh, we've got a big job ahead of us. Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you for each person here. Um, I know, Lord, that we. We have a lot of different things going on. Some people here today, Lord, are are, uh, are beyond broken. That's how they feel. They feel irre- irreparable, that there's, there's nothing can be done for their life to make it better. Lord, tell them today, show them today that that's not true. <coughs> that there is no reason to be hopeless, no reason to give up. Because Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our peace. And he's bigger than any problem, any conflict, any brokenness that is in our lives. Lord, may they turn to you today. May they discover that in Jesus. Uh, it may take some time. It may take a little more thought, a little more talking about this. Lord, there are some Christians here today that are feeling a lot of brokenness too. That maybe because of of, uh, things they brought to their lives, maybe choices that have been made, or maybe just the circumstances of life that have befallen them, they feel overwhelmed too. And they certainly need some peace at home. And I pray today, Lord, that you would pour out your peace upon their family, upon their marriage, maybe upon their parent-child relationship, where there's such a struggle going on there. Lord, I pray for the work situations, for neighborhood situations that are represented in this room today, where there is so much conflict and so many fights and disagreements and people not able to get along with each other. Lord, pour out your peace on every place. And may we, uh, as we come to peace with you, learn to be peacemakers in all of these relationships that we're part of. Help us to be that peacemaker that goes into our home today and we're looking for solutions and we're looking for answers and we're we're willing to be humble and to submit and and uh, to be part of of whatever you want to do there, even if it means that, that we have to give up our own ideas, our own agenda. Uh, because Lord, what's most important is that you win and that your peace uh, goes through our homes and, and accomplishes your will there. Lord, I pray for each person here, including myself, that in this time of of stress, this uh, final days of the year when when, uh, emotions are running high and when uh, the budget is short and when uh, we're just trying to face so many different things and we can't possibly get them all done. Help us to turn to you and to realize that you are our peace. We turn our eyes upon you, Lord. We ask that you would uh, speak to our hearts now as we share in in a time of prayer and and decision about our lives together in jesus name amen